Let us pray. O Lord, you have given us every good gift. Thank you for the rebirth in Jesus Christ that you have given us to new eternal life before you. We confess our anger and zeal misguided and destructive. Forgive us our sin and bring us in humility to yourself so that we attain to the eternal life you provide. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is from the Epistle of St. James, the first chapter beginning at the 16th verse. We read again verses 16 and 17 in Jesus' name. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good act of giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the lights, who does not change or shift like a shadow. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. When God wanted his message sent to Nineveh, the message 40 more days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown, he picked Jonah to preach it. Jonah ran the opposite direction, trying to escape from God. Why? He said, I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and you relent from sending disaster. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? It's easy for us, perhaps, to shake our heads at Jonah, how foolish to resist God's will, how foolish to refuse to share the gospel where God directs it. Yes, that's the reason the account of Jonah is preserved for us. Jonah was supposed to learn how God saved him from the fish, and just so he saved Nineveh by the same mercy. Do not begrudge God's mercy and grace. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good act of giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the lights who does not change or shift like a shadow. Understand the gifts he gives you, rebirth in light, and the word planted in you. Light and darkness are contrasting categories throughout scripture. John says, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all, and in him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. Light and truth are connected thoughts. Darkness is where lies and falsehood dwell, but light is where truth and life flourish. St. James gives a little more detail into the idea of God's light. He is the father of the lights who does not change or shift like a shadow. God, the one who made the lights, light itself and then the bodies of light to govern the day and the night, he himself is unchanging. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this means that God's word remains certain and unchanging. Some things were a shadow of the things that were coming, like the Old Testament ceremonies and Sabbath laws, but the substance of God's will and word has never changed. And therefore, we say that if there's no New Testament passage that demonstrates how the law of God is fulfilled, then it is unchanged. God's laws about homosexuality and coveting and murder, therefore, remain the same, whereas the requirement for circumcision or daily sacrifice or dietary restrictions are all done away with. 
This also means that God's wrath against sin is unchanging and unshifting. Think about that, unshifting anger. Certainly a man's anger does not bring about what is right before God. Man's anger is inconsistent. Certainly you've felt yourself rise in anger even suddenly when just before you'd been content or even happy. And certainly you felt embarrassed about being angry on some occasions. But God's anger does not shift. Now it's hard, even dangerous, to try to see into the mind of God. We only know what he has revealed in his word. But in his word you see this revealed, that God punishes sin and he does not change or shift. And therefore beware your own zeal. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. This pericope begins with that severe verse because it is human nature and a result of living in a sin-filled world that our religion can be corrupted and turned against the Father of lights so that we become instead like Job who darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Check your tongue. Check your complaining. Check your accusations. By declaiming all the sins of society, or this or that politician, or this or that group, or this or that neighbor, make a point of answering two questions of yourself first. First, what is your intention? And second, what is your effect? Now, no one would claim to have anything but the best of intentions, but bring your heart into the light. Do you want to help people, or just make life better for yourself and those you love? Do you want your enemies saved or just shamed? Remember how Jonah didn't want to share God's word because he knew God might show grace. Do you want to share God's word or your own condemnations? In some ways it's easier and in some ways harder to check on what effect you're having. It's easier because the effect can be more objective than your own heart. An effect is more scientifically measurable than an intention. You can survey opinions or hear responses. You can even see the eyes of a person you've hurt or the smile of someone that you've comforted. And yet it's also harder because you can't see into the hearts of others. But also because you still have to get over your own selfish heart again. Think about what Jesus says about the log and the speck. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If you still have that log embedded in your own eye, do you know whether you've gotten the speck? Out of your brother's eye. Your anger at the sin of the world, the sin of your neighbors, it cannot make a change. Your anger will sputter and fail. Only God's wrath burns unquenchably. Only God's wrath is unchanging. And his mercy is also unchanging. Because Jesus drank that cup of God's wrath, gulping down to the dregs that fiery fluid of divine anger and punishment of sin. God's wrath against the world and against you, poor sinner, could not be stopped by any work of man. Remember how you yourself could not be saved by the works you do. You are not saved by doing this or that better than anyone else in the world. In fact, you probably don't do better than the rest. 
You might be able to see the speck of someone else's sin, but if your response is to think of how terribly sinful that person is, then certainly you can't see because of the log lodged in your own eye. Remember how that person will not be saved by picking the speck out of his own eye, by doing better, but only by the work of Jesus. And this means that none of you should presume to be the Lord of God's will. You know the Ten Commandments, and that's good, but you are not God's law keeper or God's policeman. You instead do have the keys of heaven. Jesus said, Amen, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So don't seek to leave sins unforgiven. Seek to forgive. That is why Jesus came. Be zealous to forgive. Teaching the law is part of this. Showing the sin of a person, as I hope I have brought to your own attention, is never meant to shame or belittle. Again, think of your intentions and your effects. The law is preached to show the need that a person has. Right now, I want to see how you need Jesus. Even though you are a member of this church, you cannot save yourself, and you should not think of yourself as better than anyone else in the world. You need the light of Jesus' forgiveness. The beauty of it is that forgiveness remains. Jesus, in taking that immense wrath of God unto himself, has won complete and full forgiveness for the whole world. This means he has won forgiveness for every single one of your sins, and even those sins of pride. But if we walk in the light, just as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And therefore see this gift of God from above that he has planted his word in you. When Jesus told the parable of the sower and the seed, he then said loudly, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. You have ears, don't you? So do you hear what Jesus is teaching? Or have you shut your ears to him? St. James says this, Remember this, my dear brothers, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Certainly a man's anger does not bring about what is right before God, So after getting rid of all moral filthiness and overflowing wickedness, receive with humility the word planted in you. It is able to save your souls. And these verses are not only full of such great advice, but they actually have salvation itself to give you. Remember this, he says, because it's all important. Let everyone be quick to listen. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen in the first place. To God's word. Let his word be the first sound in your waking moments, the first sound in your workday, the first sound at your mealtime, the first sound in your conversations. Moses instructed the Israelites to have God's word always in front of them. These words that I am commanding you today are to be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children and speak about them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as a sign on your wrists And they will serve as symbols on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. If anything is undertaken apart from the word of God, it will not come to a good end. 
But second of all, listen to your neighbor. Too quick, those who are zealous for God's truth, listen to his word, but then speak to others before listening to them. Have more the mind of a good doctor or a surgeon. A good surgeon doesn't start carving away at a patient until he knows exactly where to cut and what to do. And this is done by listening to the patient, hearing the symptoms, examining the test results. Learn, therefore, to ask questions and listen before you start bludgeoning someone with the hammer of God's word. Remember, God said, My word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty. Rather, it will accomplish whatever I please, and it will succeed in the purpose for which I sent it. It isn't supposed to accomplish what you want, but what God wants. And therefore, be slow to speak and slow to become angry. Whether objecting on the basis of some social issue, although God's word is very clear on it, or because of some personal offense, this principle still applies. Hear how St. James describes you, full of moral filthiness and overflowing wickedness. Can you object to that charge? Do you deny it? If not, then why do you think you, filthy and wicked that you are, can presume to wipe clean anyone you meet? Would you ever drink from a cup that was washed with a toilet brush? then why do you think that you can solve the uncleanness of the world? But you can get rid of your own uncleanness. Not by your own efforts, no. Instead, this is what St. James says, So after getting rid of all moral filthiness and overflowing wickedness, receive with humility the word planted in you. It is able to save your souls. It is a little unfortunate that that word after is present here in our translation because it's not there in the original Greek. The word could be interpreted to include that sense. But it would be more correct to say here, so getting rid of all moral filthiness and overflowing wickedness, receive with humility the word planted in you. Understand by this that it's the word itself that is able both to purge away your filthiness and to be planted in you and grow. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the point of dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, even being able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from him, but everything is uncovered and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we will give an account. It's the word spoken aloud that gives you forgiveness. It's all one action, in fact, the removal of dirt and implanting of righteousness. Baptism is the same thing. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the guarantee of a good conscience before God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We were therefore buried with him by this baptism into his death, so that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too would also walk in a new life. At the end of the novel Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, in his post-apocalyptic setting in which books are banned and burned, the protagonist meets a group of people who are introduced to him as various books. It turns out these people have read and memorized books before they were burned, and therefore they have become those books in a way. Of course, God's word is not lost to us right now, but you are to become the word of God to others. It's planted in you, giving you Jesus' righteousness and forgiveness for all your sins, and so that it grows. It's to grow 
and go to seed so that it can be planted in others from where it blossoms in you. And no, not your word. Not your anger, not your comfort. You don't need to convince anyone that you are right or that you are friendly or that you have their best interests at heart. Give them God's word and let him convince them that he is right, that he is gracious, that he has forgiven them in Jesus. I might add at this point, too, that while God's word is not lost to us, there is always the possibility that it could be. The prophet Amos warned, Look, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine into the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but rather a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Understand how harsh a judgment this is on people. If the word is removed, then with it goes any chance of repentance, any chance of forgiveness, any chance of salvation. If God's word is removed then neither you nor anyone else can save anyone. But that word is here. It's free. While you might live in a culture or in a neighborhood that in many ways is just as ungodly or worse than that old nation of Nineveh, consider the blessing of our word. The word of God that is ever available to us, always in our hands. He has sent it into this country, into the homes of many people, into the cultural memory of our neighbors. And it's there because God, even through you, is seeking to save all those other people by the word. And it's also here for you. Here is God's word planted in you and growing as it is regularly watered, giving you stronger and stronger life. Like any plant growth, the more it grows and the stronger it endures against inclement weather and infestations and other dangers. God's word is shining on you in this darkness to comfort you, to forgive you, to give you that life of Jesus. In Jesus, you are granted new birth to eternal life in light, assured of the resurrection on the last day, just as surely as he rose on the third day. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.